Thank you, Mike. Amen. It's a great introduction into our text in Proverbs. So if you're here for the first time, we are going through the book of Proverbs, and um, we are now in the middle portion that has uh, no real formulaic structure. So we're going through thematically. Each week we're covering a different theme. And so as you can see in your outlines, this theme is the power of words. And so I have a question for you as we, as we start this morning. Do you ever think about how dependent we are on words? And I'll give you a moment. Do you ever think about how strange it is that I can open my mouth and breathe and my vocal cords make sounds and you understand them? We do this every day without thinking about it. We're just so dependent on speech. And it's so common and integral. It's part of every aspect of every area of our lives. We use words every day to communicate our ideas, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, our fears. And the words we use and how we use them, they have an effect on our families, on our friends, on our careers, on our state of mind and our state of emotion many times. Words have meaning and they matter. And how we use those words matter especially when we express what we believe. Now, every morning, or this morning, you all should have walked in here with a Bible in your hands, and if you didn't, walk in next week with a Bible in your hands. If not, there's one in the pew in front of you, and if you're in the back, there's a stack over there. But before our word was ever written, it was spoken. And normally, when the word, what we believe, our faith, is continued, it starts in spoken form. When God brings the gospel to a new people group, they don't start with a Bible. If there's no Bible in your language, it doesn't take months, often years or even decades to get a Bible into your language. But the word can be preached. The word can be shared. The word can be explained. Jesus himself began his ministry not with a written ministry, but an oral ministry. He spoke. This is not the first time God spoke. Communication is important because this comes out of the very uh, nature of who God is. We're image bearers. Our God spoke the world into existence. Our God shows us that speech has power. Our God called Abraham out of paganism. Our God called Moses out of Pharaoh's palace. Our God called all the patriarchs and the prophets. And our Savior walked on this earth and spoke words, words of life. And when he gave the commission to his apostles, go and be my witnesses, be my vocal representative in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And now the scriptures in our hands, they declare him. And they are read and they are preached and they are explained all over the world. And what we say and how we say it has an impact on how people receive that message. So in the book of Proverbs, other than wisdom, speech or mouth or lips or uh, anything addressing speech is mentioned more than any other subject. Other than wisdom and understanding and insight. So where scripture speaks often, we should pay attention. And scripture speaks uh, a lot about this. This is why we're going to spend two weeks on it. So why spend two weeks on words? Why speak so much about words? Because every one of us in this room has been greatly built up by someone's encouragement and compliment. And every one of us in this room has been greatly torn down by careless and mean or angry or hurtful words. Many of us replay words in our heads over and over again. Many of us have our own highlight reel or low light reel in our head of all the stupid things we've ever said or all the stupid things people have ever said to us. You ever stuck in that loop in your head where you can't get the words out of your mind? Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me was deaf. Or they got beat up a lot. There's a lot more truth to the pen is mightier than the sword. 
That's why we're going to spend two weeks. So in our first week, this is the, the power of words this morning. This is the principle, the indicatives. Words are, or speech is, or um, the, the tongue of a wise man is like. So we're going to deal with the power and principle this week. Next week is going to be more of the application. The wisdom of words. How do we take the truth of what we know about words and speech and how do we use them wisely and judiciously? So that'll be week one and week two. So I'm going to pray for us and then we can jump into our text in Proverbs. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning because you have given us lips to do so. You have created us in such a way that as you communicate, we can communicate. You have granted that we would speak to you and praise you. Yet in our hearts, we want to slander and curse you. Lord, if it were not for you, we could not utter your name. We could not look upon your face. We could not understand your word. But you have been gracious to your people. I thank you for this gathering of believers that gathers around your word, gathers around a prayer and, and, and praises that we would lift your name high, that Jesus Christ would ever be on our lips. Lord, help us and train us in the ways of righteousness. Lord, convict us where our tongues condemn us. Lord, work in our hearts when we are errant with our words or when we are fearful with our words and we forget you or deny you. Lord, you have given words power. We're going to work through some of those this morning. Lord, would you grant my words to not be my own but yours. May your spirit work through me and in the, the, the ears of your people that we would not just be hearers of the word but doers also. That our obedience would be a light to the nations that we would be witnesses of our Savior, and that our transformed lives would be opportunities for the gospel. And then would you continue to bring the lost home, raise the dead to life, and encourage your people across the globe to hold fast to the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we're going to do some quick mentions of some of these verses. We'll cover quite a few. There's some in your outline. There's some additional ones. And there's probably another 30 I didn't add. Um, and then we're going to land and have a fairly lengthy family conversation at the end. So normally I've been going in order. Uh, but I do want to start with chapter 18, verse 21. This is our thesis verse for this morning. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Just so you know, the cross-references will be on the screen, but I want you to have your Bibles open to Proverbs. And if you can flip back and forth with me, gold star. Uh, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Is that hyperbole? That's a very strong statement. Death and life? Really? Maybe this is just one of those figurative, proverbial sayings. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. There is death and life in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, either the good speech or the evil speech, they will bear the fruit of that. And don't take my word for it. We're going to look at Jesus'. So uh, we're going to start right out in Matthew chapter 12. Because Jesus gives essentially a commentary on this verse. This is Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 33. Notice the connection here between the fruit and the tongue. Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruits. Okay, what does he mean by tree and fruits here? The tree is what produces the fruits. What produces what? You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? 
For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart is the tree. The mouth is the fruit. You know what kind of tree something is by what type of fruit it produces. You know what type of person you are by what type of speech you produce. This is why Jesus says, you brood of vipers, you may try to speak good outwardly, but you're evil inside and you are working contrary to who you are. Your speech will find you out eventually because what is in your heart can't help but come out. You can, you can hide it, you can act for a while, but it will come out. Jesus says the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What does he mean by treasure here? He's speaking of the heart. What have you treasured up in your heart? What is, what is your treasure chest? What is deep inside you? Because whatever you have stored up, it's going to come out. Remember he tells us earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, store up eternal riches that won't fade away, that won't be eaten by, by moss, that won't be destroyed by rust. Store up eternal things. That treasure, that will flow out of you. But if your heart loves temporary things, if your heart loves selfish things, self-centered pleasure, if you have stored up wicked things in your chest, that's what's going to come out. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth either. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Ouch. You might as well just bang the gavel and close the door right now. Because if eternity was weighed with every careless word we ever uttered, none of us are safe. Thankfully, it is not. We will have to answer for them, but in each cause, you will either say, that's my word, or that has been covered by Christ. That one, he got that one too. And that one, and that one. Some of us are going to have a scroll that's going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling of every careless word we've ever said. And some of us keep the tally going by the day. But praise God that Christ is sufficient for that. But it's not just the words. It's the words in association with the heart. Look at what he says. For by your words you'll be justified and by your words you're condemned. Don't separate the two. Our words don't, don't bring us to life or, or condemn us to death. Our words just show the temperature of our heart. And so what you, what you love you will commend. And so eventually you can only hide for so long. In our words, Jesus himself says we'll be justified or condemned by our words. This is what we mean by words have power. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. And I'm going to show you many examples. Our words matter because they reveal our heart. I can tell pretty quickly in a conversation with you what you love. Because in the first five minutes, you're going to tell me about football or your job or your, or, or your kids. Some of you will tell me about Christ. When someone meets you, what are you most known for? What do your words say about you? I want you to think about that this morning, and then we're going to have a family discussion at the end. All right, so let's get back into Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14. Again, we're going to move through these quickly. We'll land in a couple spots. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of fools brings near ruin. All right, so this is typical of many of the verses that we will see or that as you're reading through Proverbs in the future, you will see. That the wise use words wisely. They want to acquire knowledge. They want to mature. They want to grow. Uh, but the fool, they kind of throw words around. They don't take anything seriously. They're not thinking uh, for the future. They're certainly not thinking for eternity. And they're, they're synonymous with the wicked. Both the words of the foolish and the words of the wicked eventually tear down. If there is no life in you, you can't bring anything to life. You can't speak life. Even if you say good words, they are dead words. The next verse uh, in, in our list is similar to it. Chapter 10, verse 20. 
The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's, it's valuable. You can't put a price on it. The heart of the wicked is a little worth. Notice the tongue and the heart put right next to each other. The tongue, it just communicates what the heart feels. The heart of the wicked is of little worth and their speech is going to be likewise. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Simple words can lead to life or death. Wait, well, well, what do you mean? When you have gracious speech and you have a generous heart, you can say, I will feed you. I will clothe you. There is physical but also spiritual nourishment that can come from simple words. But death, starvation, destruction, how many dictators can take the life of someone with just a word. We all have different levels of authority, but with more authority, there's more weight to your words. Now, this isn't an absolute. Uh, not every righteous person is going to feed. Not every fool dies uh, when they should, but every fool will die for lack of sense. But this is a truism, and a lot of what we see in Proverbs are truisms, meaning they are, they are mostly true, and the, the, the principle within them is true. Uh, I'll give you another example from the life of Jesus. So if you think this is extreme, that the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense, I want to show you one. Let's look at Luke 16. Set the stage here. Jesus tells a parable, a rich man and Lazarus, and he gives the details here. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple. This is, sorry, this is Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. If this man were righteous, one word could have brought him to the table. One word could have easily given him more than crumbs. But he was so concerned with his feasting that his fellow Israelite was dying and wasting away at his very doorstep. Moreover, even the dogs came to lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from here to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest also... Uh, lest they also come into this place of torment. Notice, by a simple word, he could have extended or granted comfort to Lazarus' life. Now in torment, all he wants is a word from Lazarus to his brothers. The irony here, that when he had the ability to use his speech to give life-giving words, he didn't. And now he is begging for life-giving words from this man who he neglected. But Abraham said, this is verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. How prophetic that turned out to be. I just want you to see that there is life and death and the power of the tongue. That rich man knew rightly that they needed, his family needed the words of truth. They, he, they needed the words of life. But if they wouldn't believe someone raised from the dead, they would not believe Lazarus. Words have power, but we must have ears to hear. We must believe those, those words for them to have any effect. All right, 
Uh, let's move on. Back in Proverbs chapter 12. This is kind of how it's going to go. There's no other way to make these flow more than just one, one after a time. One after another. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. So the last one was sort of a, a truism. Uh, I think this one is two true statements. This is more absolute. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. True? Yes or no? Yes. But a good word makes him glad. True? Yes or no? Anxiety is aptly described as heavy. This weighty ball and chain of the heart. This slavery and shackle to your own emotions. Every one of us have been there. Some of you live there. And it is weighty and it is uncomfortable and it feels like you can never get out. And what does it feel like when someone comes up and encourages you? When someone comes up and gives you a good word and just hugs you and just loves you, you can't fix the darkness, but you can shed light on it. Those are both two true statements. This is how we bear one another's burdens. I can't be where you are, but I can lift the weight a little bit. I can walk alongside you. Our words have power to bring someone who is weighed down by anxiety and grief and disappointment. That is powerful by just giving a good word. Amen? Uh, let's move forward. Proverbs 14, verse 3. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will preserve him. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at discipline. The Lord uses discipline for correction and growth. But if you don't learn from discipline, you are by definition a fool. Fools don't learn. And they keep talking, and they keep saying the same things, and they keep getting disciplined, and they wonder why. How easy is it for a careless word to lead to discipline? How many of us has some dumb thing that we said that we didn't think about got us into trouble? And we deserve the rod for our back. But on the other side, the lips of the wise will preserve them. How often have, has one rightly timed, placed, or thought word got you out of trouble? There is, there is power in our speech can get us into discipline, flowing out of the heart, it can get us out of discipline. And this leads well into our next proverb, chapter 15, verse 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Let's deal with this in its two halves. This is a contrasting proverb. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. You remember our tree of life imagery? If you're familiar with the Bible, the tree of life appears in three places in the scriptures. Creation, recreation, and Proverbs. What is the tree of life? Now you remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had this perfect communion with God. And as long as they ate of the tree of life, they would go on forever. They would never die. It was a sign of, of, of God's provision for them. Of them being in right standing with God of them being sustained in this life, of them being nourished. And then we see it again. One of the promises in the new heavens and the new earth is there will be a new tree with fruit for every season. Whoever eats of it will live. This tree of life is a sign of being in right standing and perfect relationship with God. It was lost in the fall, but it will be renewed in the consummation of all things. But it's also in Proverbs. And we talked about this before. But it's not the tree of life in Proverbs. It's a tree of life. So we get a glimpse of what it was like to walk with God in the garden when we see these things. We get a glimpse of what it means to be in communion with him. Imagine the sweetness of being in the misty dew of the late morning and you hear God walking through the garden. Imagine never stubbing your toe, 
never eating a bad meal, never seeing death. This, this beautiful communion in the tree of life is what represents it. The people of God walking with God in between creation and recreation get a glimpse of it. And there are several references to it. We've, we've covered other ones. But a gentle tongue is one of them. You're like, ah, is it? But think about it. How is it when there is no criticizing, complaining, arguing, yelling? Does that feel like a very slice of Eden for a moment? But what about the contrary? When there is constant strife and bickering and yelling and ugliness, this, this, this perverseness, uh, this word in the Hebrew is anything that is crooked or out of place. It is deceitful. It is the opposite of straight. It is the opposite of true. Those perverse words break the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. But the perverse, crooked words, they break the spirit. How many times have we been worn down, broken down, exhausted by perverse speech, by slander and gossip and criticism. But unfortunately, too many of us have become desensitized to perverse speech. We're flooded with it. We may have many friends who speak this way and we watch shows that speak this way or listen to words that speak this way and we wonder why our souls are in turmoil. But the gentle tongue, the, the encouragement is like a tree of life. Same chapter, verse 23. To make an apt answer or an appropriate answer is a joy to a man. In a word in season, how good it is. Notice here, the right answer at the right time. That is wisdom right there. How to give the right answer an appropriate answer, and at the right time. It is both a joy and a good thing. What a good and joyful thing it is. That's the trick, right? How do we give the right answer at the right time? But in wisdom and patience and love, you are blessed when someone says the right thing when you need it. And you are a blessing when you are able to give godly and helpful counsel to others when they need it. It is a good and joyful thing to give a good word, an appropriate word in season. This is where our words have power for good. And I don't think most of us realize how often so, or for how long someone cherishes an encouraging word. How long can you ride on a compliment and being built up? Or how long does an untimely word weigh us down? Where you're just beaten up and someone wants to tell you, give you maybe even truthful correction, but it is the worst possible time. And how long, that, and how that just beats you down even further. Brothers and sisters, it is an art, but it is a very helpful thing to give the right answer at the right time. Next, chapter 16, verse 20. Again, I'm just, this is not exhaustive. I'm giving you some examples. I want you to see this in the future as you read through Proverbs. Uh, chapter 16 has a lot to say about speech. We won't cover all of them, but there's a, there's a nice little helpful grouping here uh, in verses 20 through 24. You're going to see this theme associated with speech, goodness, sweetness, and persuasiveness. Chapter 16, verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word, uh, this word for word here is the general word for word. Um, it basically just means uh, an idea or a, a matter, like what's at hand. Whoever gives thought to what he's thinking about, the thoughtful person, and how he explains it will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Notice the connection here. Those who think before they speak, those who give thought to their words, are synonymous with those who fear the Lord and who trust him. When we trust in ourselves, we can't wait to chomp at the bit and get to our next thing that we want to say. But if we're trusting in the Lord and we can wait and we can be patient, we can trust him for uh, what we will say next and trust him to guide our speech. 
Uh, verses 18 through 25, or a lot of commentators think it's like a poem, and this is the heart of the poem, but we're only going to deal with the heart. Speaking of the heart, verse 21, the wise of heart are called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Notice again the connection between heart and speech. The wise speak and listen. The wise are called discerning. And so when the wise speak to the wise, it is, it is for growth, and it is sweetness, and it is pleasing to the ears. This is nothing like the angry protester or the internet troll, the one who does anything but. No one is convinced by that. But the wise person, the sweetness of speech, you know, what's the phrase, like you'll catch more bees with honey. So this is what Proverbs commends, and it's very much like, uh, verse 23 is similar, but very much like verse 24. I'm going to skip to verse 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So there is a physical and spiritual benefit to sweetness of speech, to gracious words. And when you think about like a dejected person, someone who's just beat down the, 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 the weight of the anxiety, like down to your very bones you feel heavy, what happens when they get picked up, when they get encouraged? Gracious words are like a honey, honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Like honey to a starving man. Uh, I like Colossians 4, 6 here. I meant to do it in, back in chapter 15, but we can do it here too. Colossians 4, 6. So as we think about how we speak, and uh, verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Salt preserves, salt makes things taste good just like honey. And so our, we should give thought to our speech, be gracious in it, and that is how we know how to answer each person. And if we do, that person who is weighted down and just dangling like some skeleton with lifeless bones is soothed and encouraged by our speech. We, as all people, should be those of uh, encouraging speech. Next, chapter 18, verse 2. I told you we're going to move quickly because I want to spend leave time for application. Chapter 18, verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. Solomon has been on the internet, um, <laughs> for sure. I think he has just described modern discourse. Yet he wrote this 3,000 years ago. So if that was the case then, and it's still now, there's nothing new under the sun. The platform is just bigger. Now, fools have keyboards and cameras and they can express their stupid opinions to all the world. Here's the problem with social media. And I know this is a real temptation for many of you. Many people become fools by getting drawn into this in social media. As the verse says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, only in expressing opinions. Most of what you're going to get in online fights, there's no desire for understanding, only for expressing how often have we got into arguments that we shouldn't have just because we want to express our opinion? Our culture is so consumed with ourselves that everyone must know what I think and everyone must think how I think, regardless of whether it's right or whether it makes sense or not. And how many of us have got swept away, not caring about understanding, but just taking aim at someone who thinks differently than we do? You may even be right, but you're acting like a fool. Yeah. 
When we only desire to express our opinions, we only want to lift ourselves up. If we're going to fight, fight for something worthwhile. Fight for something that is true always and not just true now. One of my least favorite phrases, my truth, it's stupid. You know what they say about opinions, and I'm not going to say it. It's the same thing with, with, uh, with uh, my truth, and there is plenty of them. But we should not be so. We should seek understanding, not just expressing our own opinions. Um, and then our words will have weight. Because opinions, they're going to they're gonna, uh, blow away like chaff in the wind. All right. Uh, later on in chapter 18, like chapter 16, chapter 18 has a lot to say about the tongue. There's another grouping here. Uh, verse 6, a fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Oh, man. Yeah. So many of our problems in our world uh, would be solved if the fools just got the beating they deserved. And I am happy to give out the punishment, which is probably why I shouldn't. Uh, this, this makes me way too happy to think about a fool getting a beating. So that's why I should leave vengeance to the Lord. Uh, it's very appropriate for our discipline message two weeks ago. Uh, moral here, don't be a fool. Um, don't let your mouth write checks that your butt can't cash, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> don't step into something that you're not ready for. Don't don't let your, your mouth shoot off and, you know, whatever analogy you want to you, you wanna put in here. That is a foolish thing. And you can, we, we see these fools every day. And we should spot it and don't take counsel from that person. Don't get drawn in by that, that person. Because if you get drawn in by the fool, you're going to get drawn into the beating too. Avoid that. Verse 7. A fool's mouth is his ruin. And his lips are a snare to his soul. So there's physical consequences in verse 6. There's spiritual consequences to his soul, his very life. He might just get a beating in this life, but it's going to be a snare to his entire soul. How many people are too busy running their mouths to consider their eternal salvation? How many people talk themselves right into judgment? It's foolish. Like them, verse 8, the whisperer, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. This could also be red heart here too. This sneaky, divisive speech is very damaging. And our flesh loves it. We love gossip. We love slander. We love another juicy tidbit. It just slides right down our ears and it makes its way to our heart. But what does it do? Uh, chapter 16, verse 28. A dishonest man spreads, spreads strife, and a whisperer spreads close friends. If there's someone who is in the habit of saying things behind people's back or just loves to have private conversations, they want to divide. Because they're not, they don't have enough integrity to speak to people's faces. Be careful of the whisperer. All right, our last grouping here is in chapter 25, and it's fitting... Um, because it's four beautiful word pictures. And so the end of uh, this section here, ending in verse 14, most commentators see as kind of a hard division in, in Proverbs. It moves from one section to another. Um, there's another focus on the king in verse 15. But these last four, just beautiful word pictures here. I just want to spend a little bit of time in these and then we'll uh, get into our application. Verse 11 of chapter 25, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. That's rich. That's rich for our culture, especially with the value of our dollar. Like that's, but that's very rich in their culture. Apples of gold on a setting of silver. How valuable is just a word fitly spoken? Man, Proverbs place such a high value on our speech. Let's be those people. That's real wealth. Words that build up and instruct and encourage. That's what's valuable because that won't fade away. Our opinions, they will change just like our socks. 
but the word fitly spoken, that is true treasure stored up. Next one, just like it. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And we talked about discipline a couple weeks ago. Discipline to the wise is welcomed. It's a good thing. It's another valuable thing. Loving correction and humble reception are more valuable to our character and our sanctification than real gold. We should be people who are able to give loving correction, loving correction, and receive it humbly. That's what builds our character. That's what sanctifies us. That's what we should store up more than than any earthly treasure. Let us be those people who love one another enough to give loving instruction and receive correction well in love because that is what will not pass away when we grow into the image of Christ by the instruction and correction of others. Verse 13 um, didn't understand at first. Uh, I've never been in harvest in the Middle East. Um, but when you read this, like the cold snow in time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. One of the commentators described this as like when you're working in the field and it's, it's hot and you've been out there all day and a nice little snowfall comes down. It's like a cold drink on a hot day. That is what a faithful messenger is to those who send them. One who, the messenger who brings good news. It's like a cool refreshment on a hard day's work to his master. These are good and welcome and positive words. Verse 14 is the other side of the coin, negative words. Another great picture. Like clouds and wind without rain. Empty threats is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. How true is this? You can thunder and you can promise all you want, but if if you don't deliver, all bark, no bite. How disappointing is that when someone promises you something good and doesn't follow through? Can't be relied on. Especially if it's something you need or something you desire they work you up for. It's like the dry ground is just calling out for water and it won't come. When good promises are made and never delivered, let's be those people. Those people who are people of our words. We make good promises, or let's not be those people. Be the people. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. We make good promises. Let us deliver them. And uh, so often we say things without considering it. Yeah, of course I'll come over later. Or of course I'll give you this. Yeah, we'll see you next week or whatever. And we don't do it. We don't realize that we become those clouds with no rain. All right, so that's the the last of the four. Um, Now we're going to get into our final section. So we see how God speaks. We are made in his image. Uh, Proverbs speaks, and now we speak. So there are going to be three ways in which our words have power. Here's our application this morning. Three ways in which our words have power. When we speak to one another, when we speak to God, and when we speak about Christ. When we speak to one another, when we speak to God, and we speak about Christ. All right, number one, when we speak to one another, my goal here, brothers and sisters, is to get us to consider our speech, especially in the church. One of the most underappreciated gifts in the church corporately is encouragement. You never get up and and stage and commend the encouragers. You know, they don't give out awards for that at churches that that do that that kind of thing. That may not be appreciated corporately, but individually, that's probably the most most appreciated gift in the church. How many of you are here this morning because someone encouraged you? Meaning you came for the first time because that's the first sympathetic person you've ever spoken to. How many people keep coming back because of the encouragement? It's my weakest area. If you're coming to me for the warm and fuzzies, you must be new. <laughs> That's why we need the body. That's why we need the rest of you 
I'm working on it, but you, 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 I, I've grown. You can ask my wife, but so many of you outshine me in this. This is why we need the body. That's why I'm up here, and, and you, please encourage one another. And, and if I don't, I love you. I just don't know how. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do all have gifts. So let's go back to the beginning on this. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we have a problem with our tongue, it's because we have a problem with our heart. Sooner or later, what we talk about and how we talk about those things will reveal our hearts. What does your speech say about you? So there's, a, there's two kind of pole opposites of, of people. There's a spectrum of how our speech is, is worked out. On one side, you've got the blabbermouths, self-explanatory. And the other, the other side, you've got the, the field mouse or whatever, your, you know, whatever your, your picture is. One person never met a word they didn't like. And one person, you've got to pull something out of them. Or they almost never speak at all. And so let's address them both because I think there's a struggle in that in in, in the church, and no one's 100% one or the other, but we all fall somewhere. So for the first group, with some people, you always know what they're thinking, whether you want to or not. I love you, but you're exhausting. Um, you're often so excited about your own words and your own ideas, you're not listening to the person who's talking to you. It's really hard to encourage someone when all of your speech is about you. It's really hard to build someone else up if you can't hear them through the sound of your own thoughts. To be a good encourager, you must first be a good listener. And then on the other side, you've got some who are great listeners. Next week, we're gonna, Proverbs has a lot to say about being quiet and thinking before you speak. This is a virtuous thing. And when you, because when you listen, you have insight. Yet some of you struggle at speaking at all. Some of you, I know, are listening to every word. You have every conversation stored in your head, yet you are terrified to encourage people because you're worried that they might judge you, that they might think a certain way about you. You have words of life, but you fail to give it because you're also selfish. You're also only thinking about, what if I say the wrong thing? What if they don't want my encouragement? What if they don't like me afterward? We can talk so much that we're selfish and we fail to encourage we can be so much in our own heads that we're selfish and we fail to encourage. No one will ever regret you encouraging them. Even if it's just, hey, I missed you. It's good to see you. I love you. How can I pray for you? Nice dress, nice suit, whatever. It goes a long way. And, and I'm not discouraging you guys. Um, what I love about this church is the thing I hear most often, what made you come back? What made you visit? Well, great teaching and great hospitality. Very welcoming. We are a church that's known for being welcome, welcoming, and I love that. I love that that's our reputation. It breaks my heart when people say, I visited three or four churches, and this was the first church where someone actually talked to me. Someone actually got to know me. I love that that's what they get here, but it breaks my heart that that's how people view the church. We should be those encouraging people, especially to the body of Christ. All right, number two. Uh, that's our words to one another, and this is our words to God. So remember I said earlier how, often, uh, how dependent we are on words. Here's another thing that just blows my mind. In prayer, when we talk to God, we actually get to say words to God and he hears and he responds. Are you, does that ever just blow you away? That the God of the universe, who spoke the world into existence, who could take my life with a snap of his fingers, listens to me. Praise God. Our triune God, who has existed in all of eternity, in perfect communion and communication, has brought us into that conversation. Father, Son, and Spirit, who lack nothing. Our God lacks nothing. He didn't need us, yet creates us so that we could have communion with him. That is what prayer is. And prayer is triune. 
There is power in our prayer. Why? Because we get to go to our heavenly Father. And in case you don't think that it's possible, the Son brings us to the Father. And if you don't think you know what to say, the Spirit teaches us what to say in the name of the Son to the Father. That is prayer. Our God so much knew how, our, how weak we were that he accounted for every aspect of prayer. The Father sends the Son to stand in our place, to redeem us, to reconcile us, to sanctify us, to adopt us, so that we can say, Abba, Father. And in our prayers, they're heard by the Father. Why? Because the same one who went to the cross for us intercedes for us as high priest. Always living, always interceding, never sleeping. Prayer is powerful because it's not about you. It's not about you saying the right formula of words. It is because God has so changed you. If your faith is in Christ, if you are in him and you are filled with his spirit, he teaches you how to pray. He draws you how to pray. Even if it's just like a baby who says, Abba, the Father hears. Our words in prayer have power, not because of our words, but because of the one we pray to because of who our faith is in, because of who makes it possible. The gospel gives our words power to speak to God and in the name of God. Thirdly, um, what we say about Christ. So uh, I kind of want to land here. We'll spend a few moments here. We are confessing people. The word confessing, the word to confess means to say the same words. Everyone confesses something. Everyone agrees with some stream or idea of thought. We are confessing people on purpose. We say the same words and we are connected by the words we confess. Here's what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's why, uh, here's why we're connected. Here's what we're connected to in our shared confession. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. What is the root of our confession? What are the most uh, essential words that we come together on? He, Christ Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. What a great gospel summary. That's the most important thing we can confess. That is who Jesus Christ is. That is is what unites us. The writer of Hebrew tells us to hold fast to our confession. These words that we say together, we hold fast to them. Why? Because these are words of life. There are power, there is power, and there is salvation in words. And that's why I want to land in Romans 10. Uh, some of you who follow my theological trajectory knew I was going here. Bravo. All right, Romans 10. I'm going to start in the second half of verse 8. Notice the connection again. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is what we've been seeing all along. This is not something new. It's not unique to Proverbs. There is a connection between our speech and our hearts. Proverbs addresses it. Jesus addresses it. Paul addresses it. The word is near you in your heart or in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Notice the connection what is in our heart is there by faith. And we proclaim it through faith. It must come out. He goes on. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Those are the most powerful words anyone will ever speak. That is real power because it changes the dead to life. It makes the blind see. The lost are found. The rejected become the redeemed. If you through faith confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What a beautiful 
agreement of our affections and our speech. For the scriptures say everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What flows out of your heart when you say, God, save me. Lord, I need you. I am lost without you. Everyone who calls out from their heart will be saved. Not everyone who calls out from only their mouth will be saved. Notice that the heart and, heart and mouth must be in agreement. And those words, are, are, those words have saving power because they flow out of a heart that by faith trusts in Christ. They will justify us or they will condemn us, as Jesus said. Eventually, what is in your heart will come out, what you have stored up. Have you stored up Christ? If you have, it must come out. If you're storing up earthly treasures, that must come out too. So we are confessional when it comes to Christ and the gospel. That's why we're a, a confessional church. What we believe and what we say about that matters. So men, if you, you're here, join us. Uh, after service, we're going to eat, and we're going to walk through what it means to be justified, what it means to be adopted, and what it means to be sanctified. Um, what it means to say these words together and know what they mean. So you're anyone here who's welcome to come. Um, but when we think about this confessing Christ. Let's, let's be honest for a moment. There are many people who use the name of Jesus as a byword or even a curse word. There are many people, and I would argue there are people probably in almost every church who claim Jesus. Say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yep, I'm here. I've been in the same pew for 30 years. And will one day say, Lord, Lord, Look at how many times I've used your name. And he's going to say, I never knew you. That is someone with all words and no heart. It is not enough just to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You talk to most people. Those are the hardest people to witness to, the people who think that they're Christians. Because someone told them that if they prayed a prayer one day, or you sit in here long enough and give long enough, you can buy your way to heaven, or you can say the right incantation to get there. Your heart and your lips must be in agreement. That's one side. There are others, when asked, who've, uh, when, when you ask about the state of their uh, soul, they'll say, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was 12. Don't get me started on that. Just so you know, Jesus is not a lost puppy who's waiting for you to beckon him into his heart. He is the Lord of glory. But a lot of people have had this emotional experience at some point. They got really worked up by the, by the 10-minute song that, that, that drew them down to the front, and they, and they prayed a prayer, and they think, yep, Jesus is in my heart, I'm good, and they go off and do whatever they want. That is all heart, no words. Because oftentimes, those people will tell you everything you want to know about everything else but Christ. My uncle... Uh, who recently passed away, uh, told a story about my cousin, his son, when he was young, grew up in church and youth group, and, and he sat him down one day at the table, and he said, son, I noticed that when you're with us and we're with the people at church, you, you say Christian things, you talk a lot about God, but I never hear you talk about Jesus. I never hear you talk about Christ. Why is that? And he kind of sat there with this kind of blank look on his face like, what's the difference? I talk about God. And he says, son, I don't think you're a Christian. I don't think you know Christ. Because if you knew Christ, how could you not speak about him? If he was truly in your heart, as you say, if your heart had been changed, how could you not talk about the one who brought you from death to life? How could your words not match your heart? Both are worthless apart from one another. But for us, let us be people whose hearts and words are in agreement. Let us speak words like our Savior, words of encouragement, words to build up, words of life, words of good news, of, of, of truth. And let us speak words of our Savior. Let us speak words like our Savior and of our Savior. Christ should ever be on our lips. 
He is the name above all names. He is the only name in which anyone will ever be saved. And if you are saved, how could his name not be on your lips? There are many gods. Everyone talks about some kind of God. But there is only one Lord Jesus Christ. The only true and living God. He is the word made flesh. Let those be the words that we are known for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. You've been so gracious and merciful to us. Like Isaiah, we are a people of unclean lips. We need that refining coal for our speech. Thank you that you have refined the heart of your people. You have caused us to come to new life. And as you sanctify us, may we be more and more like Christ. May we see the power of our words. May we use them wisely to your glory for the building up and the encouragement of our brothers and sisters. May we not neglect prayer. That you grant us to speak to you. May we not neglect to have the name of Jesus Christ on our lips. May we hold to our confession Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.